Welcome to Startups with the Rest of Us. I'm your host, Rob Walling. Today, I sit down with Arvid Call, and we talk through nine key takeaways from MicroConf US 2023 in Denver that happened just a couple months ago. It was great to get Arvid back on the show. He was on here about two years ago talking about his exit with Feedback Panda. And today, we talk through MicroConf in Denver. As mentioned in the episode, our next MicroConf is in October in Lisbon, Portugal, and then we have one in Atlanta next April. You can head to microconf.com if you want to find out more and to buy tickets. We try pretty carefully in today's show to offer takeaways that have meaning even if you weren't at the event. I think a lot of event podcasts are great if you were at the event, and then if you weren't, they don't have much meaning. So hopefully this is a helpful walk through things that we took away from the event. And if you're not familiar with Arvid, he and his wife bootstrapped Feedback Panda to an exit. What about, I'm trying to think, it was like four or five years ago now. And since then, he's been writing and building in public. He has about 114,000 Twitter followers, and that becomes important if you make it to the, there's an after credit scene. It's a hidden track at the end of the podcast. That's actually why this is long. We end the episode and then we talk through some Twitter strategy because I really wanted to hear how he built such a large following so quickly. But Arvid is a maker, he's a developer, he's a writer, and he's a teacher. And he's written multiple books. You can find out more about him at thebootstrappedfounder.com. And with that, let's dive into our conversation. Arvid Call, back on Startups for the Rest of Us, man. It's been a while. Oh, it's been a while indeed. Thanks for having me back. I've uh, really, really enjoyed the year and a half, two years in between the last time we talked, just post my exit. And now, mm-hmm. now I'm here. Man, it's, it's really nice for you to have me on. Thanks so much. I, I really appreciate you taking time. I want to talk about MicroConf 2023, which was in Denver just a couple months ago. Usually I try to record these like the week of the event or the week after, but due to circumstances beyond my control, a lot of travel, we're coming back to it now. But yeah, I appreciate it. I want to set the stage for folks who maybe didn't attend. I mean, there were about 240 attendees at MicroConf Denver this year. That is down from our standard 300 attendees. That's a pre-COVID number. So every year, we used to sell it out every year. And in 2019, we had 300 folks there. And then COVID two years was zero. And then Minneapolis, which is 2022, was uh, about 150 people, so about half capacity. And this year, we're back up to 240. And it feels like across all our events, that's about where we're hitting. You know, we were at like 50% for a while, then 65. And now I think we're up around 75, 80% capacity. And I'm curious, from your perspective, you know, obviously COVID kind of scared a lot of us some of us for until the moment we got the, you know, the vaccine. And then I was like, yep, I'm at in-person events. And then other folks, you know, are still like nervous to come. How do you think about that? Like, when did you start returning to events? In in Denver, that was the first time I ever went to anything. After COVID? So, 2023, April 2023, hmm. it's the first time that I left my house effectively. Wow. I mean, that's not really true. We moved from Germany to Canada like during the pandemic. So there was a lot of moving there, I guess. But, you know, ever ever since then, I kind of hunkered down at home, like built my little media empire or whatever I am doing right now. I don't I really know what to call this. But, you know, just build my brand, just write, interact with people, but all online. Like all on Twitter, all through communities and stuff. 
and never ever trying to meet anybody. We got our shots and everything, mostly for the health of our extended family. Because when we moved to Canada, it was really the idea to move to Danielle's family, right? Her family is from the area we moved to. And there was a lot of older people here and we just wanted to protect them. So that was the idea. We all got vaccinated, but we still kind of hungered down. We tried to protect everybody there. So I was very much afraid to go anywhere until... I thought, now it's kind of time to live a normal life again or live a life as we knew it. And when you just said, like, you were at, we were, you were at half capacity with 150 and now you're getting back to 240, honestly, just thinking about how I perceive this time, it is an incredible accomplishment for you, for you to even have gotten more than zero people back into a conference. It just feels like there's, there's always this little bit of risk that is involved, right? And right. particularly among bootstrappers, I think we look at risk. And we have a bus factor that is intense in our businesses. Like every single one of us leading a, a, business, a SaaS business with like two to three people. If we're out for a week or a month or God forbid, like a half a year trying to recover from this thing, the business is gone, right? So the risk is very strong, which was what always kept me from going anywhere. Well, that's a ringing endorsement for MicroConf. The fact that that was the place that yeah. decided to, to bring you back. <laughs> <laughs> You're pulling out the best in people, right? <laughs> Indeed. And yeah, it feels really good. I mean, I in 2022, as we ran events, I remember saying just getting 50 of us in a room is a is a W in the in the you know, is a is a notch in the wind column, basically. And now that it's building back up, it's really exciting. So for folks who, who don't know, it was in Denver. I co-emceed it with Leanna Patch, who's the founder of Punchline Copy. And then we had a handful of speakers, Claire Swellentrop from Forget the Funnel, Dev Basu, Patrick Campbell, John and Dege. And then we had facilitators like yourself, Arvid Call, from the Bootstrap founder, talking about uh, founder mental health and such. And then Anthony Eden, Quiet Light, and a few others. And it took place over two and a half days. And this continues the evolution of MicroConf, where you know, in 2011, we had 12 speakers in two days. And in 2012, we had 10 speakers. And then we had nine for many years. And now we had, we literally had like five or six main stage speakers this time. And that's been by popular demand because we know the value of MicroConf is the connections between people, right? It's about the community. It's about introducing and then deepening those connections. No matter how much founder by founder time that we have, there's always one person who's like, we could have used more, which is like a cool <laughs> sign, right? Yeah. It's like, there's a bell curve. You're yeah. never going to be right in the center of it. But in this case, you know, we, we pulled out the stops and really made a lot of uh, efforts towards introducing introducing folks. You have any opening thoughts? We, you and I each have our top five uh, key takeaways, but do you have any opening thoughts before we dive in? And you're absolutely right. People come there for other people. And I think that's uh, just in general, that's what makes this conference such a different conference. My, my opening thought, I compare this to the other conferences that I went to in my life, mostly software conferences or like startup conferences. I went to Web Summit one year in, in Portugal, like this massive, like tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of attendees and these gigantic stars that they invited. They had Ray Dalio on stage. And I was like, well, that's not helpful at all. <laughs> I mean, it's great. Ray Dalio is a, a great writer and investor and he has all these things to share. But I came there like building this little SaaS business. We even had a little booth there just like, you know, looking at just presenting the thing to people, see what they say. And then you have people on stage that are quite unreachable, both in terms of where they are as a, you know, as a contributor to the, the entrepreneurial community and just physically unreachable because it was a massive stadium and they were on stage like half a mile away from you. It's like, yeah, this 
this is really this is not about like connecting with my fellow people here. This is just about looking at this stage and clapping loudly and you know big bombastic effects. And Microcraft is the exact opposite of this. Like people come not necessarily for the talks. They love the talks and they're they're insightful. They take away something from the talks. But the moment the talk is over, people turn to each other. And not to the next thing, right? They don't go to the next room. They go to a conversation that they may have already started like a couple hours ago. That is super valuable that people don't turn away from each other. They actually turn towards each other. And I really, really like that. Yeah. And as I was saying, that's the evolution of MicroConf. In the early days, we started it more as an educational event because there was there was no one talking about just nuts and bolts marketing and launching of startups, right, in 2010, 2011, when this podcast started. It was all these headlines, and it was venture capitalists saying these really high-level things that didn't apply to our type of business. And so MicroConf was like, well, let's educate based on what we know and what other successful founders are actually doing, not just the, oh, I raised a big round. But it's like, how did you grow your audience? Like, what are the marketing approaches? Like, the first two, three MicroConfs, it was literally, we were discovering these things together. Oh, B2B is superior to B2C. We didn't know that. I mean, it's so fundamental mental now, but that was discovered at Microcom. Raise your prices. We're all underpriced. That was the first three years, right? It's it's basic things like that that have helped us. I think collectively it's kind of raised the, the rising tide, right? Has raised all boats. So with that, let's dive in to our top five takeaways. Why don't you kick us off with it? These are in no particular order. So if we say it's your first takeaway, it's not necessarily the most important, but why don't you kick us off? Yeah, I, I was going through the my my experience, my mental recollection of the experience of the conference, which is mostly talking to other people. That's kind of where this is uh, coming from. And one thing that I noticed in many, many conversations that just looking at the community of founders that was there, almost everybody was struggling in some way. Uh, obviously, we have an economic situation and the post-COVID world and you know all that. The internet is weird. Privacy is weird. There's a lot of stuff going on. Lots of people were looking for ways to pivot and they were quite expressly mentioning that. Like they were saying, we're doing this, this, and this, and this is not working well anymore. Our like low-touch SaaS thing that we had running for us so well, all of a sudden is not making as much as it did anymore. And instead of saying, well, how are we going to try to force people back into low-touch SaaS, which is for some people the first idea is right, to, to go for the golden goose that worked so well until now, a lot of people were asking about, well, what else can we do? And that I, that I found very interesting because that's such a such a founder centric thing, right? Like such a bootstrappy way of well, what else can we do? What else? Where is like something some thread we can pull? So I heard a lot of people talking about finding high touch service offerings in addition to their low touch B two B SaaS that they were already running, and that that was something that I hadn't really found that expressly mentioned anywhere else before. It was a very strong kind of current throughout the conversations that happened with me involved. Like obviously there were different conversations that do, but almost like half of the conversations I had were kind of about that. Yeah, and I do think that's a sign of the increased competition in SaaS today. Bootstrap SaaS is different than it was five years ago and different than it was 10 years ago. And we can say it's easier to get something launched, but that means more people are doing it. It's harder to be heard through the noise or whatever it is. There's just a lot of SaaS. Everything is becoming SaaSified. Software is eating the world, as uh, as Mark Andreessen says. And that does lead to needing other options to maybe keep it going. I mean, I, I see more bootstrap SaaS founders raising funding now than ever before, right? And I think that's also part of it of like, huh, you maybe need a little more to get started today, you know, than you did a few years ago. So I could see that as well, you know, adding consulting or having uh, going up market. I mean, there's a bunch of different ways to get that money to get going. So my first one is going to sound, well, I don't know if it sounds obvious to people because I think we sometimes forget this, but nothing beats 
being in a room together. There is no, there's nothing of higher fidelity. I have four VR headsets in my house and I play VR fishing or golf or other things with basically kind of mastermindish folks, kind of mentors or like colleagues of mine. Instead of sitting, staring at each other in Zoom, we go into VR and we talk business and do this once a month, you know, once, once every other month. And it's cool and it's VR and it's all, you know, there's avatars and it's just not the same because I still have a headset on and I'm at my own house. And when I'm at Zoom, we're staring at each other. It's like, you ever been on a four hour Zoom call, six hour Zoom call? I have, it is exhausting. <laughs> and yet at MicroConf, four hours, I'm in a room with people, six hours, eight hours. And at, even though I'm tired and even though I'm extroverted out, I call it a extrovert hangover that I think a lot of us get, even though at the end of eight or 10 hours at MicroConf during the day, in the evening, I'm like, I want to talk to more people because nothing beats being in a physical space together. That is my experience too. That it's just the facilitation of new ideas coming up. The, the just even solutions to people's problems, right? I'm kind of getting almost into another one I had here, but let me just throw this in. Let, let's do these not in order, but completely randomly and disperse them. But the idea that you could just go to a person that you probably kind of already know from Twitter. I had a lot of people that I had already talked to virtually, met them for the first time, had these wonderful conversations that kind of piggybacked on what we had already done in DMs. Like, you know, you have this baseline understanding of each other's world already. And then you just jump into other people's issues. They're like, oh yeah, man, this doesn't work. And then <laughs> you have these opportunities where you can say, well, that guy over there, you can literally point at the person, has solved this problem just last week. Why, didn't you, why don't you just take it by the hand and lead you over there, introduction, bam, problem solved. This is just something that no other place could ever potentially solve like this, unless we live in the oasis, right, from Ready Player One, but that does not exist. No VR situation can ever facilitate this, just like an actual room with physical beings. Yeah, and, and such a big element of that is this thing that I say from stage often, which is you're in a room unlike any room you've ever been in before. And I don't mean these four walls. I mean the 239 other people here is that except for microconfs and maybe there's other events like this, I haven't particularly found them. Like BOS is similar, right? And, and the Dynamite Circle, their DC events are, are similar. But if you are a Bootstrap SaaS founder, there is no other room that you will be in where everyone else is, is doing what you're doing, you know, and we're all on the same page. Well, that, that kind of brings me to my number two, if I can just throw this in right here. Like I, what I noticed is exactly this. And there is such a common baseline of shared experiences in that room that makes conversations, that makes exchanges or just even collective problem solving much easier. Like everybody has the same problems. And in, in my talk, I, I got to actually like facilitate conversation between people because everybody has mental health issues. Every single founder in that room was like, yep, yeah. I have mental <laughs> health do. issues. And I was talking to people like literally throughout the, the whole, uh, just the, the conference, like from day one, meeting them, coming to the hotel, a couple people already there kind of recognized me. I went over, had a chat and like 10 minutes in, I told them what I was going to do. I was going to, you know, get people to share mental health issues and how they dealt with them with each other during the talk, if I can call it that, uh, because it was mostly people talking to each other, like not on stage, but off stage. But and, and everybody had a story ready. That was the, one of the, the craziest things that I've ever, ever noticed like or ever like witnessed in my life was that I, I told people, yeah, I'm going to talk about like social isolation and living with anxiety. And they were like, yeah. So last week, I, <laughs> there was immediately a story. Every single person had a story. And that shared sentiment 
of knowing exactly what the other person is talking about when it comes to anxiety, stress, and all these things, that makes conversations so much easier. And it makes it so much easier for people to open up. Like they literally, I, I went on stage, shared my own story, gave them permission to share theirs. And I wasn't even off stage for this little 15 minute segment that I gave the audience to talk to each other, that the room was buzzing with people sharing their story. That was such a monumental experience for me to see that people were just, they were just waiting to get permission to share this. And that is something that MicroConf can do like no other conference because we are the same people trying to build the same kind of businesses. Yeah, that's a really good point. And to be honest, it's something that I didn't realize when we started this. Like I genuinely thought we'd get in a room together and chat about some things and we'd learn marketing and education or whatever. And after the first year, people were like, I was like, after the first year, 2011, I was telling everyone, yeah, this is the last one. There's no way I'm doing this again. It was so much, <laughs> it was so hard and so much work. This is back when we ran the logistics, right? Mike and I ourselves. And people were like, no, I would pay, raise the price. I need this. Like that's when we realized, you know, it's the shut up and take my money meme. Like we found yeah. product market fit. The, we, we stumbled into it that first year. But to your point, that's what it is, is there's never another time in my year when I'm in a room with that many other people where I know I can go up to anyone and I can tell them, oh my gosh, I'm so stressed out because things are bad. I can say, here's my MRR and my churn. What do you think? Help me with my funnel. I can say, what's, you know, it's just all the crap that we talk about on this podcast and on Twitter that's all just jargon to everyone else is, is the opposite of jargon. It is our language. It's our love language at Adam Microgolf. So, all right, my number two. So MicroConf, like any SaaS company, is a startup, right? I mean, we've been around now for a while, for 12 years, but we are still experimenting and changing things year to year. And so one learning that I take away every year is that experiments are always scary and they're often risky, but they can also have a big payoff. And I want to call out what has now been known as the chaos lunch. I was... <laughs> I was calling it the cluster flunch, but <laughs> <laughs> so Xander had this, oh, yeah. producer Xander had this <laughs> great awesome. idea. That was great. He said, what do you think if we send people off in groups of, I don't know, it was between eight and 20, right? Just get, get people together and we pre-assign the groups and then we give them, we put a credit card on file at a bunch of local restaurants within walking distance. So big radius. And he got, you know, I don't know what the number was, 10, 15, 20 different restaurants that he called and made lunch reservations. And I'm like, that, that sounds cool. Cool, that sounds great. And so I was like, sounds like a big risk though. Like, are people going to do it? Are they going to walk? Is how the logistics sound complicated, right? This is always my, my thinking. And Xander is great at logistics. Like it's one of the things he's amazing at. And so it's noon on the second day and I'm like, great. And now go to this URL, you know, within your microconf hub and you're logged in, it should have a number there. And then people were like in Slack and then raising their hand, but a number's not showing up. And I was like, all right. And so I look at Xander in the back of the room and I'm like, Xander, what are we doing? And I see him point to his watch and, and make a circular motion, which means stall for time. So I'm like, Leanna Patch, let's chat GPT jokes, you know? And I'm like, where's my magic trick? I left it in my bag. So we stall for like five, six minutes. And eventually I'm like, okay. And people start kind of wandering out the back, maybe thinking about their own lunch because it's like 12.06, 12.07. And eventually it just it just came together. We literally all stood around Xander and he would I'd say, what's your name? Here's your number. And people were just gathering in groups and it just, we just figured it out. You know, if it was like 2,000 people, it would have been catastrophic. But with 240 people, like we were able to figure it out. And that was one of the highlights for me was being matched at 
these tables. I didn't know most of the people. I knew a few of the people. Had some amazing conversations because I was forced to meet. And we were paired up. Now, Xander and his team like were pretty smart of it. They were deliberate. He like knew that there should be a balance of... They didn't put me, you, and Patrick McKenzie at the same table, right? You were at a table. I was at... A, just to kind of help spread it around. But chaos lunch is probably what we'll call it from now on. And I think it won't be chaos in the future, but it was a big experiment. It was risky. And in the moment, I was like, oh my God, this is not going to work. And then in the end, people raved about it in the, uh, to me personally, and then in the after event survey. It does remind me so much of like the Paul Graham, like uh, do things that don't scale situation. Like Xander was literally the concierge, like doing the thing that doesn't scale at all. (laughs) But it was really great. It was fun because people were all smiling. Like I was standing pretty close to Xander because we were like trying trying to find my number. Right. And he was smiling, kind of slightly stressed. Right. But everybody was still, ah, we're going to figure it out. Like this is the best potential audience you could do this with because people's expectation for how things can break immediately like or just yeah sure obviously we all had like downtime right this was literally the the non-sass version of a little maintenance issue and that's right it was fun and it it gave people great opportunities to just kind (laughs) of commiserate together i guess that would be the word like okay this was fun like now we're here now let's have a chat now let's get to know each other right you have this shared funny maybe not the best positive but still interesting experience i think that was great i think that was a wonderful idea you should do this every time (laughs) Let's see if you can orchestrate the chaos. Let's see. I want it to be a little, yeah. It, it reminds me, it's basically we shipped a bug to production is really what that was, right? And then we, re, but then we recovered and you fix it and you, and you move on. So yeah, that's right. That was fun. With that, what's your number three? I think um, my number three is, is a bit more kind of tactical at this point. Like Dev gave this wonderful talk and he talked about all these these different kinds of new ways of getting your product in front of people. And he mentioned discovery ads. And there was this kind of moment in the room where people were like, what is this? And I love the fact that we're 10 years into this conference where everybody's sharing stuff with each other all the time. And there's still something new that people have never really figured out when it comes to, you know, marketing your product. And the, particularly that whole discovery thing, when he explained it, everybody's like, whoa, we can do this, right? The idea was really to put your ads in front of, I think, like put through Gmail or something so that when your competitors' renewal emails come in, your product gets placed there, right, as an ad, as a competitive product. And that was just something that that you have this thing, you mentioned that in your opening talk, you have stir, right? You have strategies, tactics, inspiration, and relationships. And as much as I love the whole inspiration and relationships part, which is the hallway track and all the things we just talked about, the S and the T, the strategies, and the techniques, they're still there. And they're still amazing. And people still get something out of it that they didn't expect to get. So that was really cool. As an example of this, right? You still have these super impactful novel things that you never thought about. And now you know how to do it. It was just really cool. Yeah, and that's, you know, back in the day, MicroConf was 80% strategies and tactics. And then inspiration and relationships was kind of like, oh, that'll be the other, that'll be the icing on the cake. And it's it's kind of flipped. Mm-hmm. And and I think for the better, right? Where it's 80% yeah. inspiration, relationships, and then 20% strategies and tactics. But to your point, my number three is also, it's Dev Basu's talk. And he had five playbooks that he showed. One was discovery ads. I made a note of a couple others. He talked about building comparison pages, how to do that, and then taking advantage of competitor price increases. He And, he, and then he had two others. Folks, by the way, if they want to buy the videos for the talks. I think they're $50 for all of them and it's at microconf.com slash US. But um, I felt the same way where throwing out a bunch of tactics talk after talk over a couple days gets old, but hearing a couple that blow your mind throughout the days makes it worth it in addition. Not that the relationships don't on their own, but if you take away a couple things to experiment with or a mindset shift or anything like that, I think it's, uh, I think it's pretty incredible. 
Yeah, it's kind of front-loading value, right? We do this a lot in, in SaaS, trying to convince people to, to eventually become, you know, could convert into a paying user by giving them as much as possible right at the start. I think Dev did an amazing job at that. Like he gave people something tangible that no matter if there was anything else at the conference that may or may not work for them, that was going to be at least worth considering as something that they could everybody could do for their business. So that was genius on your part, I guess, to, to put that talk there and genius on him to actually put that in the talk. But I think it's, it's just nice to, to have a little, the ST in stir is at the beginning of the word for the reason. I kind of felt like that was strategic. I'm not sure if it was, but if it was, great. If not, just act like it was. <laughs> you know. It was. We So producer Xander usually, I used to put together the run of show and put who, who goes where in the schedule. Xander does that now and then I review it and sanity check it with him. And it is intentional. If you run events, you learn where to put things. You learn where to put different people in different topics. And certainly leading was something that's either high level or tactical. That was very much an intentional uh, decision. Thank you for putting my talk right in front of the chaos lunch. So that was that was a lot of fun. It was. We didn't know it was good. We just thought it was before lunch. Now it's chaos. So we. It sounds like we shared the same number three. What's your number four? My number four is the thing that you also did in your opening talk presentation. What I noticed is that people have wildly different reasons for why they run their SaaS businesses, and they're all proud of it, and they're all following these many, many different goals for many, many different reasons, but with the, with the same approach, right? Like you did this thing where you had a slideshow up, and people were sending in pictures of the reason why they're coming to the conference, why they're building their business, pretty much up there. And you, you saw people having photos of their family up there, lots of them. You have people have photos of their pets up there, including our little puppy. She was up there too. I took even a photo of that. It was adorable. I showed that to Danielle. She was like, oh my God, a puppy is a microcuff. It was really fun. And you had people sharing like objects, like private planes or or places they wanted to go to, places they wanted to work from, places they wanted to visit. Like you had all these many, many different reasons that people were running their business. And I think that level of diversity is really, really cool. It's just something that it's not that people are there just for the money. That was one thing that, again, with many of these startup um, conferences that I've been to in my life and even coding conferences, maybe more technical, not as much money, but people are career driven and they want to reach that next the money milestone or whatever. But this was just, yeah, I'm, I'm doing this for my kids. I'm doing this so I can have my own home. And that's, that's it. That's all I want, right? The whole lifestyle business thing that was so palpable in that moment. And the fact that we opened up with this, that was awesome. That was just, okay, we're all in this together. We come from different places. We have the same experience. Let's just bring it all together. That was, that was a lot of fun. I really enjoyed that. Well, that's what I love about bootstrapping in general is we can all have these different motivations, right? When you raise venture, you really are going after big money and big impact, I'll say. I think people often will say, oh, I want to make a dent in the world, kind of because they don't want to say they want to get rich. So I will, there's a few maybe like that truly want to do that. And look, I'm not taking anything away from it because I started startups to get rich as well, but also I had a purpose beyond just money, right? Freedom, purpose, and relationships. These are the reasons I do it. That might be the reason you or any listener does it, or maybe it's because they want to have 12 cats in their house like Leanna Patch and ooh, throwing shade at Leanna. (laughs) Right. Or, you know, like you said, that they want to own a home or that they want to travel and visit places like that's the beauty of bootstrapping is that you're you're in control. Yeah, you're in control and it's it's kind of aimed at something, right? It's not this kind of, oh, I have to follow the path that others have, have laid in front of me. And with what our parents try to push us into a certain direction, like get a job, get a career, and then die, right? Like we're not on that path. We we are on our own path and we have a goal. We have a reason. And I think that is that is a strong, strong thing to to have be surrounded by people who have this. 
And just to be clear, Leanna and I agreed before we got on stage what was on limits and off limits for basically ragging on each other, like making jokes at the okay. other's expense. And she fully, I said, I'm going to joke about how many cats you have. And she's like, oh, that's totally fair game. So I am uh, I'm continuing that, that effort here <laughs> on the podcast. My number four was a talk slash workshop from a guy named Arvid Call. And the takeaway, there's a lot of takeaways there, but you know, a big takeaway for me is something that I've learned for years from my wife, Dr. Sherry Walling, but that you echoed and, and said in a different way from the, uh, from the stage, which is like at any given time, all of us, each of us is struggling with something. Sometimes it's imposter syndrome. Sometimes it's it's mild depression. Sometimes it's deep depression. Sometimes it's anxiety. Sometimes it's it can be OCD. You know, just whatever. We are working with something that other people probably don't see from the outside. And that founder mental health in general is something that has become more talked about, but I still don't think is talked about enough. And so I, I enjoyed your session where you you do a slide or two, you talk, and then you say, talk amongst yourselves and talk about this thing. And people would awkwardly look around there. We had round tables and then they'd start talking. And then before long, you couldn't stop them talking, right? Because they were like, oh my gosh, I haven't opened up about this to anyone else. And this is so cool to be able to talk about this in a way that no one mocked me. And no, like I didn't feel bad. I actually felt better having said this thing I'm struggling with. Yeah, thanks so much. Like that—that that is most appreciated. I—I I really enjoyed it. Like it was—it's weird because I, you know, it, it was a very vulnerable moment. Like not just for me, for everybody in there, because you, you don't really open up. And I—I I love being on stage, biggest stage I've ever been on, by the way. So thanks for allowing me to, to, you know, even be in a room like this. And after my my talk, like I guess like pre chaos lunch, like or or mid chaos pre lunch, <laughs> somebody came up to me and said that something just happened at our table that was that was really interesting and. I think uh, she said, I, I saw somebody who started talking about their issue that they had. It was obviously everybody was talking about mental health issues and they could see, or she saw that this person had never talked about this to anybody else before. And she could see the physical relief that was manifest in, on their, their face after and during talking about this. And it was like, she, she thanked me, not, not for herself, but for that other person to be able to do this. And I was like, I, I just really said, you can do this. Like you all did it all by yourselves. But it was such, an, such a strong moment of, okay, we really need this. There are people here who have had this problem or these problems for decades and never thought it worth it or allowed to ever talk to anybody about this. So what I, what I really hope that people, these 250, 240 people that went there, went away from this conference with was we can all allow the people around us to talk more about these things. It's kind of the, you know, the, the pyramid scheme situation where you have one person getting 240 people to open up and each one of them gets 240 people to open up as well. I would like to see that because you, you're absolutely right. It's severely underrepresented in, in our community. Even though it is much stronger in our community than others, it, it needs to reach way more people. That's that's for sure. With that, what is your number five, sir? Yeah, number five. I, I think the, the biggest thing for me at the conference is, you mentioned it a couple times already, but I really want to bring it home, is the power of the hallway track. Like the, the fact that you can talk to anybody and there is no caste system at this conference. The hallway track obviously is like everybody can talk to everybody, like hopefully not during, but around the talks and in the evenings and during breakfast and people people meet each other, they go to breakfast together, they organize a dinner with each other or something like this. It's, it extends beyond the literal hallway. It's just around the conference all the time. But what I really, really enjoyed is that I noticed that there were masterminds being founded during the hallway track. Like people met for the very first time and they were like, hey, we are vibing. Let's just, you know, let's connect. Let's go 
on the the Slack, right? The the MicroConf Connect Slack, and just have a mastermind there. We we always thought we we should, but we never did. Now that we know each other, we can do this. Or people were just had had ideas that they were pitching to others that were immediately crushed and invalidated. Like it couldn't couldn't have been better, right? You have this this feedback loop there. And cast system. Why I'm saying this is like, you you did a really good job not bringing in the Ray Dalios of the world as as much as it would probably be super cool to have a have that kind of person and, and talk to them during the hobby track i think it's much better to be able to talk to dev or to talk to, yeah, to claire or to people like john like everybody who was a speaker they were just just a, a person sitting there as well like you could have a chat with anybody and i really appreciate that because that that's what makes the conference not one of these looking at other people conferences it's look, looking at your, your peers everybody around you and that that is super valuable I'm glad that you noticed and I'm glad that you're calling it out because we absolutely get suggestions for speakers like Gary V, Seth Godin, whatever other celebrity person who talks kind of about entrepreneurship or marketing or whatever. And look, I don't mind those people. I don't, I like Seth Godin, right? I would love, I've seen him speak. He's actually a great speaker. I question if he's a microcom speaker, you know, maybe he'd probably do a good job, but to your point, he would fly in and he'd speak and he would leave at lunch, you know, and that is different than what we've traditionally tried to do, which is to get folks who are, are boots on the ground and actually most of our speakers want to attend the event as well. And we've had a lot of speakers that will speak one year. It's their first time attending. Then they'll come back year after year because they're like, oh, this is one of my favorite events, you know, because of the way it's run. So my five is a moment from Patrick Campbell's talk. Well, there's actually, there's two moments. So my favorite word spoken at, at MicroConf, and I'm totally, I'm totally doing this to call him out, was the word yet. Okay, and Patrick Campbell, <laughs> you might wonder, Rob, why are you paying attention to yet? <laughs> Patrick Campbell was talking about, he's like, you know, had this $200 million exit, money in the bank, and at a certain point, he was talking about being a bootstrapper, but being able to raise a small amount of funding. And he said, you know, like Rob runs Tiny Seed, uh, and I don't have a skin in the game. I'm not an LP there yet. And that yet told me, <laughs> oh, heck yeah. <laughs> so anyways, that was, a, that was a side jack. But really my favorite part of his talk is he has these mental frameworks. One of them was like an operating framework of cadence of the company and this and that. He had, I think, three or four of those frameworks. But one that I liked and that I've talked about on this podcast with different naming conventions was he talked about the journey framework. And this is like, there are three founder paths if you're going to do a SaaS, right? A startup. I call it lifestyle bootstrapper, an ambitious bootstrapper, and venture track. Those are kind of the three that I say. And notice venture track is about raising funding, but lifestyle and ambitious, you can raise funding, small amounts or not. It doesn't really matter, right? And lifestyle is truly like, I want to get to 10K a month, 50K a month, whatever the number is. It's not usually not millions a year. It could be, but usually it's not. And I want to work as little as possible. I actually don't care about growth. I care about massive cash dividends. And I'm just doing it for the lifestyle. And that's great. I've had many businesses like that and they were amazing. And then I transitioned and some people do at a certain point. So like, no, I now want to build that multi-million dollar startup. I want to have an eight-figure exit, eight or nine, frankly, because Patrick bootstrapped to a to, you know, $200 million exit. And I, I'm, I'm going to hire, I'm going to do what it takes, and I am going to grow this thing because that's my ambition. I want to build something big. And maybe it's to get rich. Maybe it's to have an amazing purpose. Maybe it's to make an impact. But Patrick had the same thing with different names. He called it, there were three founder paths. And it was something like a lifestyle bootstrapper. And then it was like an in-between, an ambitious, which is what he did. That's what they did with ProfitWell. 
and then venture track. And he actually said, the mistake we made is we didn't raise some funding. We wanted to grow like a venture back company, but we never raised venture. And so it was very, very hard for us, right? So I liked that takeaway of him, his mental model of there being these paths. And as we said earlier, if you're bootstrapped, you can kind of do what you want. Now, once you raise venture, you can't anymore. And that's a decision that people make. It's, it's not right or wrong. It's just know what you're getting into. Yeah, that was really interesting. It's really nice of him to, I, I feel, share the kind of the, the little secrets from inside of his own mind, right? Like the the things that he wished he had, but hasn't and was still successful, but he still kind of talks about it as if it was a mistake to have made, right? Like it's just the insight into somebody's mind. Like even him talking about how his his dad asked him if he's, he's now going to finally become a doctor, right? Like because he was still wasn't happy with him exiting for like $200 million. <laughs> like that's just the insecurities you, you have to, yep. you have as a person, you just laid them all out. And that was really nice. It was, it was, was a great talk. I, I really enjoyed it too. Yeah, that, that was a lot of fun and really helpful. I'm, one of the things I, I'm just thinking about this because you were mentioning it just now with these three different paths. That's something that I, I've heard a lot of people figure out because their co-founders are on a different path than they are. Right, that that is yes. super risky. Something yep. that just want to throw this in here. Like if you if you found with other people, figure out which path they are actually on. Even though you know you're working on the same business, they might be thinking about very different outcomes in the future. Right, with any major stakeholders. So it's co-founders. Yep. And if you if you truly want a lifestyle bootstrap, go do that. But know that your co-founder should be on the same page, and don't take investment. If you're going to do that, just don't take it. There is no, the, the numbers don't work. So I see people taking money and then wanting to be like, I'm going to work half time on my business and do five other businesses at once. And that those two do not, they, even in this day and age, they still do, even with a tiny seed or an indie.bc, they still, they don't work that way. So it, anyways, if folks are stoked about microconf, if they like this and want to be in a room with a couple hundred amazing people, we have a microconf Europe coming up in Lisbon, October 1st through the 3rd. And then we are in Atlanta next April. And I don't know those exact dates uh, and I seem to have, be having trouble locating them and with my Google Foo right now. But <laughs> you decided, are you coming to either of the, the next two? I'm totally coming to the one in Atlanta. All right. That is happening for sure. Not so sure about Europe this year, but I I do want to come to the Atlanta one. Like that that is uh, already it would be marked in my calendar if I had the dates. But, you know, I'm I'm very much looking forward to that. And just even as an attendee would be great. Like I would love to do like more stuff too, like with the community there, but it, it's just it was just fun. Like my first microconf I ever went to in Dubrovnik back there, the Europe one in in 2019, that opened so many doors for me just to meet so many cool people. And now we got to do this here. Like I, I would just come to, to stand at the window and look inside if that was an option, right? If you sold out, I would just like claw at the window from the outside. Would be worth, worth going to Atlanta for that. You are too kind, sir. I will, of course, be at, at both of them as always. And so folks want to check it out, you head to microconf.com and there's an events tab at the top. And I will get uh, producer Xander and his team to add Atlanta because it should, it should be on the list. By the time this episode goes live, we will have that there. Arvid Call, you are at Arvid Call on Twitter. 114,000 Twitter followers. Look at you. Yeah, yo. People can just, <laughs> it's pretty that impressive, bizarre. man. And um, thebootstrapfounder.com, if folks want to listen to you, have a podcast, you have a YouTube channel, and you consult with folks 
Well, you have books as well. Yeah, I got a lot of a lot of small bets going, you know. Email newsletter. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Right. This sounds familiar. Ah, you do a lot of things. Yeah. I, I do a lot of things too. It's uh, <laughs> it's fun. And uh, and you do consulting for folks as well. So well, thanks so much for having me. That was really nice. It's really nice to just relive the experience because the two days, they were great. Like I wish it was like two weeks, but I obviously I not, not sure if I would. Uh, I'm also one of these kind of introvert, extrovert people that are extroverted in their group of people, but introverted usually. So I, I think two days was perfect, but reliving it with you just now, that was awesome. Thanks so much. Absolutely. Thanks again to Arvid for appearing on the show and for sharing his takeaways from MicroConf US. I hope to see you in October in Lisbon or in Atlanta in April of 2024. It's great to have you here this week and every week. This is Rob Walling signing off from episode 668. Congrats, you made it to the not-so-hidden track that I announced in the uh, in the intro of the episode. I don't normally do that, but actually I've had a few people reach out when we have these hidden tracks if I don't intro them, and they say, oh, I think you left something that should have been on the cutting room floor in the episode. Uh, did, did you mean to publish that? And yeah, we do. Before we dive into Arvid and, and my conversation about his Twitter strategy and just how he built a following, one of the funniest moments of this year's event was when my co-MC, Leanna Patch, fell off the back of the stage. So let's roll the audio to that right here. Want to grab the water bottle? Why do I have to grab it? Oh, the patriarchy. <laughs> okay, I'm fine. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, Miss Leanna Pack. Thank you. Please tweet about that. <laughs> so my life. You, you kicked the thing. I kicked the light off the stage. I'm not going back down there. After that moment, of course, we continued to joke about it for the next two days because she was fine, not hurt, which is kind of the best of both worlds when you have something funny happen that doesn't hurt anyone. And with that, let's roll back into my conversation with Arvid, where I ask him, how did you grow this audience so quickly on Twitter? Turns out it was maybe three and a half years, and he mostly went from zero to 114,000 Twitter followers. Anyway, Sarah, I wanted to keep you around here to uh, ask you, how in the hell did you grow your Twitter following to 114,000 people so quickly? How, a, how long did it take from when you really started focusing? And then what, what did you do? I mean, these days you are actually doing like Twitter consulting in a way. Like I could hire you to come give me advice, right, about, or give me a tear, like a teardown screen crash. Tear, yeah, yeah. teardowns is what I call it. So yeah, what, right. what, how'd, you, how'd you figure this out? What are you up to? So let me look at this with perfect hindsight. <laughs> Let's just start with that. Now, honestly, I, I think I had 400 Twitter followers for most of my life, like when, since for many, many years. I think that MicroConf uh, in Dubrovnik that I was mentioning earlier, that the one in 2019, that kind of put me on the map in the community because you, you allowed Danielle and me to, on stage, like on both microconfs that you kind of pulled me out on stage. And we, we gave this little talk about like how we are, did our business, how we exited it and what we built the business, we built into the business for it to, to be able to exit. And people 
really seem to like that. We had a YouTube video of that available. You know, there's a lot of credibility that comes from this. And that helped me like, get an initial little footing in our community. People looking at my profile, they knew, okay, this guy apparently is not just lying like everybody else on Twitter, right? You have a, a lot of scams, a lot of people that try, uh, get rich, uh, trying to get rich quickly stuff that you, you see these, these kind of hustle university stuff, things where people just pay loads of money to become part of a pyramid scheme. I did not do this because I, I didn't want to and it didn't look like it because I had some kind of credibility. That really helped me in the beginning. And I, I started my blog at the same time, so I had something for people to look at to see if if there was actually meaningful content backed up, not just me talking about it on Twitter, but there actually be something else. So that was also a thing. So it's kind of the tandem there. And then I just relentlessly engaged with people that I already wanted to talk to on Twitter. That's been my story and my, my approach to Twitter for the last, what is it now, three and a half, oh boy, almost four years soon. Interesting. That's a long while. Yeah, I, I just, every day I spend at least like half an hour actively contributing to other people's conversations. And that has been my only engagement strategy. I don't do like follow for follow or I don't do like weird giveaways like every day or these weird things where you sell your product and you have the countdown thing. Only 10 left, only nine left. I, I just I just don't, don't care for this. Like I try to banish all growth hacks from my Twitter strategy, which only leaves me with being myself. And that is actually quite enjoyable to some people that I'm just me talking about the things I like and talking about things that I think are interesting in a way that I think is interesting. Like that's really what it is. So my strategy is one of not having too much of a strategy, but actually just engaging with people like you would in the, in the hobby track. I would go up to them, talk to them. They say something I'm, I'm listening in as I walk over and contribute something that I have to say. And I just do this every single day and have done this for years now. And do you get more followers from th like a, a standalone tweet or a tweet thread that you start or from this engagement? When you say engagement, do you mean like, oh, so-and-so, Jason Cohen posted something, Heaton Shaw, whoever. I'm going to respond to that with a thoughtful, whether it's a question or whether it's a whatever. Is that what you mean by engagement? And That's exactly Okay, right. and does yeah. that actually get you followers, like engaging? W way more. Really? Like reliably more. And, and not just more, but also better. Like <laughs> the, the followers you get from a viral tweet, you always have to think about like Twitter as a funnel, right? And we, we founders, we know how, to, how funnels work, right? You have all of the, the big stuff up top and it gets smaller, smaller, smaller on the way down. And um, any message that you send on Twitter, be it a reply or a tweet or quote tweet or whatever, can be that initial part of the funnel for somebody, right? Somebody sees your tweet for the very first time. They see your face, hopefully, and not just some weird Web3 avatar. They see a name, hopefully an actual name of a real person in your Twitter handle and the message you write. That's all they see for the very first time when it comes to you. And if that convinces them that you're not an absolute idiot, then they might even click on your name to go to your profile. And then it kind of funnels further down. They look at your header image, they look at your bio, they look at the link, how many followers you have, they look at your pinned tweet and your history of tweets. And on every single part of these steps, somebody might or might not follow you or exit the funnel. So that's kind of how you have to look at Twitter. So obviously, if you present a very, very um, involved and helpful and con contributory, is that a word, message as part of an ongoing conversation, their likelihood of thinking, hey, this guy or girl is cool, is so much higher than when a random wisdom that you just posted into the nether appears on their feed. Because we're all kind of competing with each, with each other's tweets, right? The thing you write is kind of com absolutely competing with what I write on somebody's activity feed. So if it happens in the context of somebody else's conversation that that person is already following, you have this kind of proximity effect by association, right? They associate, oh, this person is talking to that person. 
I know that person already. They can't be that bad. Let's look at the conversation, which is why this kind of in conversation or ongoing conversation engagement is so much stronger. And I'm saying this, I said like it attracts the right people, a viral tweet where you do something really funny or you say something that is pretty smart and people amplify it. People come to the viral tweet mostly for the reason of proximity, of association, right? It appears in their feed because somebody they know has retweeted it or, or talked about it or mentioned it or whatever. So they follow you, not because they think you say that th say is good, but because somebody else they follow follows you as well. And that is a weird expectation level, right? They don't follow you for your content. They follow you because somebody else kind of likes you. These people are so much easy to churn. Like they will very likely unfollow you because you're not the right person they thought you were. Or if you had a funny tweet, but you are mostly talking about serious stuff, they come to you for the funny tweet. They don't see more funny tweets and they're gone again. Right? It's like giving somebody something for free, like giving, giving your book away for free and then hoping that the people that you attract are actually going to pay for something. Well, the people who come to you because you gave them something for free likely are not the people who would come to you because they can buy something of you. Right? That's, that's the kind of methodology that why engagement in other people's conversations is so much stronger. So you're not selling a growth hack. You just, it's just <laughs> engaged. Isn't it always, it's the Occam's yeah. razor. It, it is yeah. usually this, it's like the most obvious thing. Be yourself. You're interesting enough and comment on things. The, the thing is most people don't believe that they are interesting enough because they only see, only see other people's highlight reel, right? They're their best and, and brightest, which is, <laughs> I, I saw a TikTok recently and it, it was, um, forgot her name, famous actress. And somebody asked her like, how do you deal with self-doubt? And she said, well, just go see stupid stuff. Go to the theater production of Oliver that is really, really bad. Sit through it and you will know that whatever you have to say is actually meaningful because look at what just happened in front of you, right? Watch the worst movies, watch t like re daytime reality TV. Just see how bad other people are at what they want to do and you will find you're actually quite good at what you do. People just have this tendency to think that they can only ever present like the most perfect thing to the world and that is worth it. But just even sharing what you think about and what your decision-making framework is, that can be valuable to somebody else. It's really, people are self-limiting so significantly that it's kind of hard for people to just talk, right? They want to be a persona. I went through this journey. I started as a person, then I kind of became this founder persona, this Naval-esque kind of wisdom person. And now I so rarely ever tweet like one-liners anymore. I just like share my thoughts and links to cool stuff or highlight other people's work, which is so much more enjoyable anyway, because you get to expose them to a much bigger audience, which means that at some point in the future, opportunity surface style, they will come back and something will happen that benefits me. I don't care about it. I don't plan on it, but it's likely to happen. So why not talk about them instead of myself, right? There's, there are so many ways where you can actually be a contributor and play the long game, the infinite game, right? Instead of just looking for these growth hacks for the finite game short-term gains that we're all kind of looking for because we want to see those numbers go up. Numbers mean very little, which is when you say I have 100,000 followers. I love the fact that I get to talk to so many people, but I don't check my follower count. I'm in 114 now. That's interesting. I think last time I checked was roughly at 105 or something. I, I try to, to not focus on these metrics, which is, you know, SaaS founders focus on certain metrics way too much anyway. I'm trying not to do the, make the same mistake on, on Twitter either. Ladies and gentlemen. Wise words from a man who knows how to build a, a Twitter following. Thanks again, man. Absolutely.